If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 this morning, Matthew 6, 19, we're going through a series in the Sermon on the Mount, just about getting into chapter 7 next week. Over the years, um, I, one of the things I do when I'm my time off is I go ocean fishing. I've learned some basic rules about ocean fishing, and I wanted to share them with you as an introduction. When you're speaking about fishing line, here's a basic rule. If it can get tangled, it will get tangled. If you tie a knot and you're not really sure about that knot, tie it again. If as you're getting on the ocean fishing boat, the captain says these words to you, it's a little bumpy out there. You know what that means? It means that most of the people on the boat are going to get seasick. If you continue in this pursuit, this hobby, you will spend thousands of dollars over the years on gear and fishing trips. Those of us who are involved in this know exactly what I'm talking about, and so do their wives. And finally, here's the number one rule in fishing. Don't fish where there are no fish. <laughs> it's a big ocean out there, guys. Okay, why am I doing this? Because in our passage, Jesus has been talking about how we as Christians who have faith, how we're to use that faith. And in verses 1 through 6 of chap, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, he talked about how, as a Christian, you're supposed to use your faith in relationship to your spiritual disciplines. Remember, we talked about giving, praying, and fasting. We talked about those. Those are common disciplines that Christians have. Now, however, in verse 19, he begins to talk about how your faith is to affect that everyday life. As you go about your everyday life in business and supporting your family and taking care of the needs, how is your faith supposed to interact with those particular issues? So he's going to give us some commands. Now, Jesus said later on in his ministry, he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give life and life more abundantly. Remember that passage? Now, he is talking about eternal life. That's true. But he's also talking about the kind of life that we live here. Okay? If anybody knows how to do life here on this crazy earth, I think the one person that we might want to listen to is Jesus. He knows. And he makes a promise. He came, and the words that he says to us are given to us to have an abundant life. And in this passage, now you can outline this two or three ways that some of the pastors who are listening to me or guys who like to do Bible studies, you can probably come up with a better outline, but here's my outline. So you're stuck with me this morning. There's two do-nots or donuts, if you want to. And uh, these aren't possessive donuts, so don't hold, they're not your donuts. So here's two do-nots. First one is found in verses 19 through 23. Don't store up treasures here on earth. The second one in verses 25 through 34. Don't be worried about your life. There's two real important 
ways to live life on this planet Earth. Let's take a look at them. First, let's read verses 19 through 23. Follow along with me. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasures, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay. Oftentimes when you give uh, instructions or commands to your kids, what is the first thing they say? They usually say two things. They say, this is the one I didn't like to hear. We know. No, you don't know. That's why I'm telling you to do this. We know, Daddy. No, you don't. The other reason is, that the other response you'll get is why. Why are you telling teenagers why? Why? Well, Jesus understands, so he says, do not store up treasures here on earth for yourself. And we ask why. He tells us. He helps us understand. He says three things to us. Notice the three things. First of all, he talks in verses 19 through 20 about the nature of the treasures. The natures of the treasures. Notice there's two treasures. Did you see that? Verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust is three and thieves break in and steal. Okay, so let's look at treasures on the earth. Why shouldn't we store up treasure, these kind of treasures? They don't last. They don't last. Look what it says. Moth, rust destroys. That's the basic second law of thermodynamics. Everything is slowly corrupting. <laughs> Everything is slowly corrupting. And then he says, thieves can break in and steal. Those are called, we, the scriptures calls them thieves, but we call them stockbrokers and bankers. <laughs> Do you remember what happened in 2008? Somebody stole billions, if not trillions of dollars from the American public. Happened in 1938. Same thing. So if you were trusting in that, good part of it was disappeared in just a few hours. Isn't that true? Do you know in the 17th century in Europe, there was a, a, a depression that was caused? Are you ready for this? The tulip bubble burst. There was a depression caused by, they were bidding up the price of tulips. Can you believe that? Go on the internet, read about it. It's incredible. The economic depression was caused by a tulip bow, tulip bulbs, you know, the flower. You can lose it all. When I was in fourth grade, my dad had a, he was a petition. He had a, a petition, a very successful business. We were living on a street just a few houses away from a local state senator, from our state senator. It was a very nice neighborhood. Well, the IRS came along because of some issues my father got involved in, and they padlocked his, his shop, and we lost everything. We lost everything. It was gone in just a couple of weeks. The IRS padlocked his 
Sure. And they took everything my dad had. Isn't it comforting to know that that's the same organization that's going to be dealing with our health care? <laughs> that's what the IRS does. It's in the business of taking everything. Don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth. It can be gone in just a few short hours. However, there's another treasure. Look what he says. There's treasures in heaven. Well, why should we treasure those up? Because he tells us. It's really simple. Moth, rust does not destroy, and thieves do not break in or steal. It's eternal. It'll last forever. You're saying, well, what are these treasures? Well, if you make a note in your, bullet, in your, in your outline, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that talks about the judgment of believers. One day we'll all, as believers, appear before God. And Paul writes that each of us have a foundation, which is Christ. And we can choose what we do with Christ. We can build on that foundation wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, precious stones. Wood, hay, and stubble represent those things that we did, the selfishness, the self-centered things, the not living for Christ, things that we did through that, you know, carnal deeds. When they come to the judgment of God, they're all burned up. So the person goes into heaven, they make it to heaven because they're talking about believers, but there's no reward. There's no treasure. Nothing. They're in, but that's it. However, if you build on your foundation, which is Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, those represent the acts of sacrifice like Pastor Rob was talking about, uh, the acts of faith, where you really trusted God and you stepped out in faith and, and you, you were a good steward of those things that God had given you, then gold, silver, precious stones, they don't burn up in the fire. And as a result, there are rewards or treasures in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here, what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Same thing. However, let me expand that just a little bit. Because I believe there's treasures that will last forever that you can begin to experience now, right now. Let me give you a couple of them. First of it is the power of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that you did, at a moment of crisis, the right thing. No one can take those away from you. They will never fade. They'll go on into eternity. Jesus says, do those. Store up those kind of things. They can't be taken away from you. There's the first reason. The second reason is found in verse 21. The nature of one's commitment. Look what he says. For where your treasure is, there is your heart will be also. Now you can say that you are a follower of Jesus, but if you're spending all of your time building up treasures here on earth, that's where your heart is. I mean, you can say it all along, but that's your heart, your commitment is to those things. And it can be, it can really get you off the path that you'd want to be on. Why do I say that? Let me read you a passage. It's in, you might just jot it down in your outline. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is talking to Christians. Listen to what he says. 
But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you hear that? It'll send it in the wrong direction. So much so, you'd be pierced with many griefs. Now, as a pastor, I've been a pastor here for, on staff for 31 years, senior pastor for, for 26 years. And I've seen both cases. I've seen people come in and receive the Lord and begin to say, I'm going to begin to store up treasures in heaven. And I've seen just their lives transformed. Many of you have friends, relatives. You've seen that same thing. They just be, And it was wonderful, incredible things that God did. Isn't that true? But over the years, I've often I've seen the other. I've seen people who started storing up treasures in heaven, but then for some reason something happened or some job opportunity or something, something began and began to take them in the wrong direction. And I saw the results of those actions. And it's just like Paul wrote in 1 Timothy. They were pierced, many griefs. So Jesus says, don't do that. If you want to live that abundant life, don't do that. You're going the wrong direction. Then, in verses 22 and 23, he talks about, having talked about the nature of the treasures, the nature of one's commitment, and then the nature of one's inner life. Look at verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body would be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body would be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? At first, Jesus' words are confusing because we think, wait a minute, the eye is not a light. So but if you have to understand what he's saying, he says, if you, had a, if you had cataracts and you couldn't see, it would keep the light that's there from going in, right? If there's something wrong with your eye, the light couldn't go in. So when you apply that to your spiritual life, what he's saying is, if you don't let the light of the truth in, it's like darkness. There's light out there, but it's, it's not getting in. And because of that, how great is that darkness? And what he's saying is that if you don't have that light in you, and it's dark inside, and that will color every decision you make. It'll color the decisions you make about how you use your time, how you use, how you do business. How do you do business? how you treat your family, how you deal with the whole issue of stewardship and participating with your funds in the kingdom of God. How great is that darkness? So Jesus says, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth because of the nature of the treasures, that your commitment and, and, and what it does to your inner life. And what you are inside will affect every aspect of your life. 
every aspect of your life. Okay. Second do not is do not be worried about your life. Now, notice in verse 25, he connects the two. He says, for this reason. So what he's doing is he's saying, what he just said about treasures on earth, treasures in heaven, he's connecting it to what about he's about to say. So there's a, a, there's a real connection. So there, that's why I'm, some would say, well, why didn't you just you know, break this up into two sections? There's a connect. They're both connected together. So let's, let's read what Jesus says about this. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you drink, nor for your body as to what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you can, by being, excuse me, worried, get in a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil or spin, yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is still in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Won't ask for hands on this one, but how many of you have suddenly awoke at, say, 2 or 3 in the morning and started thinking about, your paycheck or your job or your, your, the IRS. Or, and before you know it, what do you, you can't go back to sleep. Why? Because your mind just won't turn off. You, you try and turn it off. and you know It's really hard. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Most of us would have to say, yeah, probably. Maybe even this morning you were up at 2 or 3 in the morning <laughs> worrying about something. That's true. Right after um, Renata and Paul, my, my children, their mom died in 1996, breast cancer. Uh, I suddenly had what I thought, and I think they were, I had panic attacks. Now, a lot of you, you didn't know that, but that was back then. We were still meeting at the high school. And I would suddenly get all flushed. i just get flushed, red. I could feel it running right down my body, and my heart would... <laughs> And I had never had anything like that. I think there were panic attacks because there was too much responsibility. All of a sudden, we're thr- I had these two preteen kids and the church, you know, we were struggling still at the high school and all kinds of things going on. <laughs> Jesus says, stop it. <laughs> Don't worry. Well, thanks a lot, Jesus. That's really easy for you to say. Why not? Why shouldn't I be worried? Well, okay. He tells us in the following verses. Let's take a look. First of all, he talks about the nature of this life. Look at verse 25. Here's the first reason he says, don't be worried about life, because of the nature of life. Look what he says. Is not, verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Come on, guys. Isn't life more than just that? 
Isn't it more than just getting up and going to work so you can buy food and pay your rent so you can do what the next day? Get up, go to work. Isn't life more than that? Come on. As I thought about my life, I looked back. There was a couple of times where things got a little kind of stretched, okay? I remember after my dad lost his shop and we lost our house, I was in fifth and sixth grade, I think. We moved, we packed up from where we were living and we we moved to a place called Point Pleasant, New Jersey. It was in the news with the hurricane and everything last year. Point Pleasant. And there was very little money. My dad was barely working. My mom wasn't working. And there was a lot, there was no money, little or no money coming in. You know what we used to do on a really regular basis? When the low tide would go out on the Manasquan River, we put on our shorts, all six of us, four kids, two parents. We'd go out in the mud flats in the Manasquan River and dig for quahogs, clams. They're about that big. We get, and you, how, you know how you dig? You just go like this and you feel it with your toe. And then you reach down, pull it up, and put it in your bag. We had clams on the half shell. We had steamed clams. We had spaghetti sauce with clams. <laughs> Why did we do that? We needed to put some meat on the table. It was just really simple. There was nothing. I mean, we ate clams till they came out of our ears. And we had clams, every kind of clam. And I remember that time, and think, well, that was terrible. No, no, no. It was good. It really bonded the Travisano family together. That experience of all of us really kind of working together, pulling together, was a very, very rich time. And now when we all get together and talk about it, it's just like, yeah, that was so neat. Isn't life more than just food and clothing? Of course it is. When I was going to seminary, um, things were really tight. I mean, we were really being stretched. And I used to work. I'd work um, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And then I'd go to school Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Wait a minute. That's three days working, four days at school. Right. No days off. I had no days off for three years, except for occasional spring and Christmas break. That was it. Really being stretched. Was that a horrible time? No, 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 no. It was really a good time for us. We were working together for that goal of, of getting out and graduating from school. It was a good time. And Jesus says, Come on, come on, guys. Don't sweat the small stuff. Life is more than just food and clothing and goods and stuff. Now, then he goes on in verses 26 and 30, and he talks about, through 30, he talks about the nature of the Lord. Now, this is the primary one. This is the primary one, but I'm just taking it as we kind of march down the verses. Here's the primary one. The first reason he says about the nature of the Lord, why we should consider the nature of the Lord, is because God is sovereign and in control. Look what he says in verses 26 and 30. He says, look, he takes care of, takes care of the birds. He takes care of all the all the the." the uh, the flowers and the grass. and In other words, he's saying all of nature is being controlled by God. He's got it all under control. Planets are spinning where they belong. Earth is going around the sun. The sun is, you know, shining. It's all working. And God is in control. Now, if he's in control of all of that, 
Don't you think he could take care of your mortgage or your job or whatever the thing that you're worried about? Isn't it? I know it seems big to you, but I would imagine the universe seems a little bit bigger. Then he goes on in verses 30 through 31. He says, God is faithful. Notice the words. Are you not worth much more than these? I mean, you're a little, in God's eyes, you're worth more than a little bird. (laughs) Hello. We have uh, bird feeders in our yard. But we also have Oreo. Oreo is a cat. And he loves to catch those little birdies. Sometimes he'll be sitting there in the yard and and the birdies will be in the bird feeder and they're all chirping, going off and feeding and he'll sit there and go, you can see, I just love to put one of those in my mouth. Every once in a while he catches one, sadly, sadly. But he also catches mice and rats. So I want to say, yes, go out and catch a rat for me. <laughs> so, and God takes care of the birds, but how much more you? You're a child of God. He's faithful. Not only is he sovereign and controlled, but he's faithful to watch over and protect you. Now, it says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him of us all, how will he not what? Also give us all things. Now, our problem is that we don't always agree with that God is faithful, amen, or sovereign. You know, he didn't do what you wanted to do. You didn't get the job or, you know, whatever happened, you know, whatever, just fill in the blank. Didn't happen. So what do you do? You get all pouty. And I would have been out of shape because he didn't do what you wanted him to do for you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He's sovereign. He's control. He's faithful. Almost sometimes it's a little arrogant on our part, isn't it? Isn't it arrogant? Of course it is. Because you think you know better than God. Because you wanted him to do what you knew was best for you. And he didn't do it. So he can't. Something's wrong. You know what's wrong? You. (laughs) You're wrong. That's the problem. Now look at verse uh, 32b, the second half of verse 32. Here's the last part about God. He knows our needs. God made the earth. He made your body. He, He knows what you need. Isn't that true? Of course. He says, for your heavenly father, this is the latter part of verse 32, for your heavenly father knows what you need. You need all these things. He knows what you need, and he's going to take care of you. Why? Because he's sovereign, he's in control, and he's faithful. So he says, don't be worried about your life. Why? Because the nature of this life, don't sweat the small stuff, guys, and the nature of the Lord. But he talks about the nature of the unbelieving world. Look at the first part of verse 32. For the Gentiles, for the Gentiles, that's unbelievers. Not just talking about non-Jewish people, okay? He's talking about unbelievers. For the unbelievers eagerly seek all these things. Now what he's saying is, unbelievers, they spend all their time worrying about 
food, clothing, and that stuff. And they worry, okay? They're always consumed. That's what they're consumed about. And you know what? They're right. Because if you don't know God, what are you left with? Well, you only go around once in this life, and you better grab all the gusto that you can. So they are right in doing what they're doing because they don't know God, and this is all they know, and this is it, and you better get it right. We're going to be left out in the cold. Isn't that where they're at? Yes. But here's the, here's the problem. You know God. I know God. Why am I acting like them? Hmm. That's really convicting, Neil. Yes, it is. Why are you acting like an unbeliever? What they're doing is right because they don't, know, they don't have a clue about God. But you know God. You should be trusting in him. Why are you acting like an unbeliever? We better move on. This is getting awfully quiet here. <laughs> then he goes on and he talks about the nature of each day. So don't be worried about life because the nature of this life, the nature of the Lord, the nature of the unbelieving world. But look at the nature of each day, verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Probably all of us have had this experience. As you looked down the week to come, or the month, or the year, you saw something coming. Maybe something about your job, or you know, whatever. Say economics, being that that's the kind of context. But it could be anything. But let's say economics. You're seeing something, and it looks bad. And what do you do? You begin to worry about it. You begin to. Being a, oh, what is, if she says this, I can't believe that she would do this to me, and I'm going to say, you know, just work it. You're just all in a tither. And then, just about the time you're all in a tither, the whole thing just disappears, and it never happens. Have you ever had that happen to you? Get all worked up about something that you think's going to happen, but it never happens. You know what it was? It was a figment of your overactive imagination. Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. Why? Because it never, it's never going to happen. Jesus says, here in this passage, but all throughout the whole Bible, deal responsibly with today, and God will give you the grace to handle what's coming tomorrow. Just deal with today. It's okay. Be responsible. Be a man of faith, a woman of faith today. God will give you the grace for tomorrow. The reason I say that is, here's oftentimes what happens. You see this troubling incident that's coming down the road. And in this case, it does happen. What you thought was going to happen and what you were worried about does happen. But all of a sudden, something what I call uh, an unseen, unforeseen element enters into it and solves the problem. Have you ever had that happen? You know what that's called? That's called the power and the grace of God. Just about the time you think, ah, I'm going over the falls, this thing happens, and it's God's grace and his power, and he just solves the whole problem, and you're sitting there like, wow, why did I spend all those weeks worrying and fretting about something that God just showed me? He put it all together. Praise the Lord. What's for lunch?
Someone said worrying is like a rocking chair. Lots of motion, but you never go anywhere. Lots of action, lots of effort, but you don't go anywhere. Okay. Now, if you notice, I I passed by two verses, and I didn't do that intentionally because I see these as what I call conclusion verses, verses 24 and 33. Let's take a look at them. First, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote it to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man or wealth. Now, the truth of the matter is we can't serve two masters. You can't. Now, a lot of us try. Sometimes we try as Christians. We try to serve, you know, treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. We try. But what happens is this. Uh, We'll make some decisions based on, you know, getting some treasures here on earth. And then maybe a week later or a day later, we'll make a decision based on treasures in heaven, okay? And somebody watching us begins to think, hey, wait a minute. That just, that was just kind of, denuded what you just did over here. In other words, it just kind of, it creates confusion, and you look like you're double-minded, or what they, a term that they use in the psychological world, you look like you're schizophrenic, because you're, you know, it's just not making any sense what you're doing. It cancels each other out. It becomes crazy. Somebody watching you think, are you a Christian? Now, we see that in our country, don't we? You know why? Because our country is struggling. With part of the population wants to serve things of man, and part of our population wants to serve the things of God. Isn't that true? And there's just this terrible strain and stress going on. And we're trying to serve two masters. I'll give you a couple examples. On the whole issue of abortion, you know, terrible thing. And the police and the district attorneys on a regular basis are arresting and charging these teenage girls who have a crisis pregnancy and deliver their child and abandon the child. Now, this is crazy. Just last week, just last week there was two girls that were arrested for um, shoplifting. And in their bag, they found in one of the bags of the girls was a dead baby. She had given birth to it. And they asked her, what's the dead baby doing in your bag? And she said, I didn't know what to do with it. Now, you say, well, what's rightly, the district attorney and the police should be doing something about that. Amen? That would be the right thing. Is that true? Yeah. They're teenage girls, but they shouldn't be abandoning their young babies. That's not right. However, at the same time, the same law people are protecting doctors that are killing children just a few weeks younger than that in abortions. And you're saying, wait wait a minute, that's crazy. (laughs) That's insanity. Yes, it is. (laughs) It's absolutely insane because we're trying to serve two masters. It's the same thing here in California. You give some Advil to your daughter uh, to take when she goes to School, oh, don't don't do that, because they don't know whether that's real drugs or uh, other drugs. So, oh, we're real worried about little girls taking medicine in, in, in school without us knowing exactly, without their parents knowing exactly what's going on. However, also in California, they can take that same daughter out of school and take her to an abortion clinic and have her do have an abortion 
without you knowing about it. Is that crazy? Hello, we're crazy. We're insane. That's insanity. Why? Because we're trying to serve two masters. The country is being torn apart. This whole homosexual thing. Look what we're doing. We're spending billions of dollars to try and end the disease called AIDS. Amen? Is that a good thing to do? Of course it is. Come on. Of course it is. People got AIDS. We should do everything we possibly can to try and help these people. Yet at the same time, we're doing everything we possibly can to encourage the behavior that causes AIDS. What are we, crazy? Yes, (laughs) we're nuts. Our country is being torn apart by trying to serve two masters. That's exactly what happens to you. And Jesus says, if you're a believer, you can't serve two masters. You better decide who you're going to serve. Now, here's the problem. If you don't make firm steps to decide that you are going to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven, the lure and the power of the treasures here on earth combined with the weakness of our own flesh will lead us quickly astray. You better make a commitment who you're going to serve. Because oftentimes the lure and the power of the things of earth will draw you in the opposite direction. Okay. Verse 33. Here's his conclusion here. Don't be worried about this life. Okay? But here's the antidote to worrying. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seems to say that the antidote for worrying is what? Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll take care of all these things. Is that what Jesus is saying? That seems simplistic, but isn't that what the Bible teaches? Philippians 6, 4, 6, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on... No, that's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Philippians 4. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. But in everything with prayer and supplication, bring your request to God. And the peace of God will do what? It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, here's where we kind of pull it all together. I have to make a decision. Am I going to build up treasures here on earth or treasures in heaven? I have to decide where I'm going to put my trust. That's something I have to do. It's something I have to do. You have to do the same decision that you have to make. And Jesus in this passage, he just, he puts it right in front of us, guys. As you go about practically trying to live this life, he tells us, don't store up treasures for yourself here on earth. They'll just disappear. Don't be worried about your life. Because the power and the grace of God is on you. The question is, and I have to decide for myself, the question that you have to decide, what are you going to do with the words of Jesus? 
And that's the question I'll leave with you this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we um, oftentimes when we open your Bible, we read things that disturb us because you have the capacity to put your finger right where we don't want your fingers on our own carnal actions and our own being lured for one reason or another into doing things that are not good for us. So we have to say to you, Lord, this morning, thank you for revealing to us what we needed to hear about living in this world, in this crazy life. Lord, we see our country being torn apart by these two conflicting things trying to serve man or serve God. And Lord, we don't want our lives to be reflective of that, but rather we want it to be reflective of our faith and our trust in you and also knowing that you're sovereign in control and we'll put our trust fully in the risen Christ, his death and resurrection for us and his hand upon us throughout this life. In Jesus' name, amen.